Developing a new business from scratch is a challenging undertaking, and today's guest has been able to develop an incredible real estate business, acquiring over 15,000 units through real estate crowdfunding, and she's going to be getting into some really, really fun topics around the difference between a REIT versus private placement, some of the advantages, and really what we're looking into heading into 2021 and how the real estate market is currently acting and what are some of the upsides and the benefits that we're going to see. You're not going to want to miss this episode. This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. For as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. If you're someone who's interested in investing in institutional quality multifamily opportunities, then I highly encourage you to listen up. We're very excited to announce that we've partnered with one of the top tier institutional operators in the country who has over a million units under management, over $1 billion of assets under management. And this team is coming together with a specific purpose to buy units across nine different cities within the Sunbelt region from Charlotte to Denver and from Dallas to Nashville and multiple cities in between, they have a proprietary business plan to be able to go purchase these high quality B-class assets, reposition them and roll them up over the hold period to actually turning this into the first faith-driven REIT in history, which means they're actually going to exit this by selling this as a REIT. And it's an incredible opportunity to not only make and phenomenal income, but to be able to make an impact by driving real change within communities, by being able to help build stronger apartment communities. One of the biggest problems that we're seeing in our country today is a epidemic of loneliness. Over 75% of men and women are feeling lonely often or always in their life right now. And over 54% of people in apartment complexes don't have any friends that are within their complex. But the, the group that is a part of this organization is a specialist in building real quality communities and ends up having those numbers go from 54% not having any friends within the community to 75% of people having friends within the community and ends up leading to significantly better business outcomes, as well as better communities and better lives for the residents. So this sounds like something that you're interested in investing in and you're an accredited investor. I encourage you to learn more by going over to vonfinch.com slash waymaker, and you can find out a lot more and you can have an opportunity to request access to this opportunity. And I look forward to being able to serve you and continue to serve all the people we're going to make an impact on through this investment. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Pesavento. And today I have a very special guest. Jillian Hellman is in the studio with me. How are you doing today, Jillian? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to, to dive in today. And as you guys may or may not know, Jillian is the CEO of Realty Mogul, a private equity firm focused on investing in commercial real estate that uses crowdfunding to raise equity capital. And it's a really incredible story. They've grown to have purchased and approved investments valued at over $2 billion, including over 1,500 apartment units nationwide. Pretty incredible story. We're definitely going to dive into some of that and cover 
a little bit about some of the different strategies when it comes to real estate from REITs to private placements and to other options in between. So you ready to dive into things, Jillian? Absolutely. So what I'm really would love to start out with is when you're starting a company from scratch, it takes an enormous amount of effort to build momentum. And one of the biggest challenges is actually bringing that vision to reality. How did you keep yourself moving forward when you were in that ideation phase, when you're in that early stage, developing something that's a fairly new concept or at least using new technology to get there? Yeah, I, I absolutely love the beginning stages of Realtor and it, it feels like a long time ago now. I mean, I started the company eight years ago in my living room, you know, in an apartment in Los Angeles, literally in my living room. And those times were incredibly exciting. You know, you're learning something new every day. You're talking to interesting people every day. You have no idea if it's going to work or not, right? So it's stressful and, and strenuous from that perspective. But um, for me, it's just always been one foot in front of the other every single day, you know, and, and making progress every day and having a clear vision and knowing where you want to go. And those days were really exciting. You know, I remember in the very early stages of the business, I would personally call every single sign up on the website. And I wouldn't tell them that I was the CEO because I didn't want people to know that, you know, there were only two people at the company at the time. But, um, you know, I was really in the trenches. I was talking to each investor individually. I was finding all of the deals that we were financing. I mean, my hands were in everything and it was really a lot of fun. I mean, I, I love those startup days and the energy that's, that's surrounding that is, is a lot of fun. Yeah, I could imagine. It's pretty cool in those early days when you're really just hustling, doing all kinds of things, and then watching it develop into a full-fledged business that you're really kind of the visionary of. So tell us, for those of you who don't know, what does Realty Mogul do? Sure. So Realty Mogul is a crowdfunding platform, uh, and we give investors the opportunity to invest in vetted commercial real estate transactions over the internet. So we've got over 200,000 members today. Those members are coming to our website and being able to browse different investment opportunities. We can talk in more depth, you know, longer in the podcast, but certain investors can invest in specific transactions. So a specific apartment building, a specific office building, a specific, you know, shopping center is an example. And then we also have two public non-traded REITs, which are real estate investment trusts where investors can buy into a pool of assets effectively. So we manage these two REITs, they're pools of assets. So if investors are looking for kind of instant diversification, they're also able to invest in the REITs. Yeah. So that makes sense. So let's let's touch on that right now, because I think a lot of people who are new to real estate or maybe new to the passive side of real estate are unfamiliar with what really the difference is between a REIT versus private placement. So how should investors be thinking about these two if they were going to come onto a platform like yours or some of the others that are out there and make a decision to invest in a REIT over a specific private placement? Yeah. So the first question I think is, would you rather invest in an individual property and kind of build your own diversification strategy? Or would you rather invest in a diversified pool of assets that is sort of built and diversified for you? We've got plenty of investors on the Realty Mogul platform who want to pick and choose their own adventure, if you will, right? They want to select individual assets. They want to build their own portfolio. And we've got other investors who say, you know, I want to make one single investment and I want, you know, Realty Mogul to make the decisions of which, in, which properties are going to be invested in in that pool. The other distinction is the type of investor. So in our case, our real estate investment trusts, our REITs, they're public entities, and what that means is that we do a lot of filings with the SEC, we're audited, you know, we're, we're, we're legally public companies. And so we can take in those vehicles, both accredited and non-accredited investors. 
In the private transactions, we're limited from a regulatory perspective to accredited investors. So those investors who have a net worth over a million dollars or an annual income above $200,000. So, you know, partially depends on what's the investor's investment strategy. Is it, you know, single assets? Is it diversification? And then also, are they accredited or not accredited? And what do they qualify for? That's really valuable, I think, for people who are kind of at that early stage. And what's the value in investing in a REIT from a return perspective versus something that's on a private placement level? So it depends. Depends on the strategy of the REIT, depends on what it's investing in. You know, different REITs have different strategies, right? In our case, we have two REITs. One REIT is really focused on income. So we've been paying out distributions in that REIT every month since inception. Our current annualized distribution is 6%. So in that vehicle, it's really more focused on income. And then we have another REIT that's more focused on growth. So we're acquiring apartment buildings, we're doing value-add renovations, uh, and that's more focused on long-term appreciation as opposed to income. On the private placement side, it also differs. You know, We offer, let's say, class A real estate where you're looking at, say, a 12% IRR net to the investor all the way up to you know the highest risk transactions that we do, which are ground up development. And that might be an 18 or a 20% net projected return, right? Because there's a lot more risk there. So it really depends on the investor's risk tolerance. And it really depends on, are they more interested in current cash flow? Are they more interested in long-term appreciation? How long are they interested in holding the investment? And really, what's their risk appetite? You know, is this is this meant to be slow and steady wins the race, or is this meant to be I'm willing to do a development deal and have a you know potentially a big pop at the end? So it, it really depends on risk tolerance. Yeah, definitely different strategies end up leading to different things. And so I'm curious, you know, b- being a company like yours, you're going out and you're building these relationships with with investors over the internet. Many of them have not met you in person. This was something that was very new at the time, taking advantage of some of the new regulations. How has creating and launching this public, privately traded REIT helped you scale your business uh, to give people that experience of investing with Realty Mogul? It's made it a lot easier for people to invest, right? In our in our private offerings, the minimums are usually $25,000 and above. In the REIT, our minimum investment is $5,000. So one of the biggest hurdles that we've had to overcome as a digital business is, is the one that you brought up, frankly, which is most people haven't met me in person, right? They haven't shook my hand. They haven't, you know, stared eye to eye. And, and really, it's hard to build trust on the internet. And so I think that the REITs, have really helped us to do that. We've got many examples where an investor will start with $5,000 in the REIT, and then they'll go on to invest, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars across the Realty Mogul family of, you know, investment opportunities and companies. And it's a really great entry point, right? For someone to, to get into the vehicle and see, okay, what does the reporting look like? What do the distributions look like? How often am I getting distributions? It really helps us to build trust. So that's been a, a big accelerator for our business, certainly. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely imagine giving people that opportunity to get that feeling, that experience of what it's like to invest with you, see that this is actually producing what you're saying it is, and then giving them the opportunity to invest in a private placement and take advantage of some of those benefits as well. So when it comes to attracting new investors to the platform, I'm sure there's a ton of different ways that you do that, but where should investors who are up and coming and who are looking to find opportunities to invest in private placements or in private public REITs, where should they be looking to find platforms like yours? Where do a lot of your investors end up coming from? 
Yeah. So I think that the number one thing for investors, if they're interested in this business is just sign up for as many platforms as you can find and start to educate yourself, right? Watch 20, 30, 40 deals go by before you make your first investment, which may sound strange coming from, you know, a CEO of Realty Mogul of one of these platforms where of course, you know, we'd love to have new investors, but I really want investors who are educated, right? And the best way to get educated is to see a lot of deal flow. I mean, at this point in my career, I, I have, you know, we've had 30,000 transactions submitted to the Realty Mogul platform. I mean, we have seen a lot of deal flow. And so as a new investor, I think, you know, signing up for platforms, Googling crowdfunding for real estate, you know, just getting in, it's free to sign up, right? There's no commitment, there's no fee. And then you can start getting emails from these platforms and, and our emails at least have, you know, an overview of the property, right? So here's the business plan, here's the strategy, here's the location. So there's a lot you can learn just from, you know, reading through those, those emails coming from the platforms. And then from there, really digging into the details, you know, sitting in webinars, we do a webinar for every private offering. So you can actually ask questions in real time. You can, you know, listen to questions that other really smart investors are asking so that you start to learn the right questions to ask. So there's a huge educational opportunity, I think. And and we're big believers in that. You know, I don't ever want someone to invest with us that isn't comfortable with the risk, right? There's real risk in investing in real estate. It's just the reality and, and the truth of the business. You know, you don't, you can't get returns if you don't take risk. And so I think that educational component is really critical and is a big part of, of the culture of our company, right? This idea of love of learning, this idea that we're always learning and, and we're always teaching, right? It's not only our employees and our teammates, but, but also our clients to make them better real estate investors. Yeah, I think that is really, really solid advice. And a lot of people, they'll listen to podcasts, they'll do some education online, but they're afraid to sign up and register to start receiving deals because they're afraid maybe there's going to be pressure or maybe maybe this is like such a big step. But it's so simple to put your email address in, to sign up, uh, to be able to share some information with that syndicator and start seeing, well, what are they putting out? What are these deals like? Does this align with my values and strategy? And then be able to therefore move forward and maybe making that decision to invest in the future once you've gotten more comfortable with whatever that strategy or asset type is. Yeah, exactly. As a executive of a growing real estate firm, what have you been seeing in the market? Obviously, we're heading into 2021 as people are listening to this. There's a lot of different people with different views, different thoughts and beliefs, different mindsets about what's going to happen economically. We don't have a crystal ball. We can't predict the future. But what are you seeing happening right now in the commercial real estate space when it comes to new acquisitions, new opportunities for investment? It's a crazy thing to share. And this is, you know, January 2021. We've never been busier. We are so incredibly busy. And I think that the main reason for it is because of the spread between interest rates and cap rates. So if I just break that down super simply, interest rates are historically low right now, right? You can borrow from Fannie and Freddie and call it, you know, 3% or 3.25% today. And, you know, if you find a transaction that has a cap rate, of around 2% higher than that. So let's say, you know, a 5% cap rate or a 5.25% cap rate, which you're not going to find in the primary markets, right? Los Angeles, Austin, New York, Miami, those markets aren't trading in those cap rates, but a lot of the secondary markets still are. And for transactions where there's a a 2% spread between the cap rate and the interest rate, like I just described, those are underwriting very, very strongly, right? The cash on cash returns are underwriting very strongly. And I'm talking specifically about multifamily. Um, so maybe a little bit more specific in the multifamily markets. I mean, we've we've just never been busier. And I think that the the COVID recession is very different than the 2008, 2009 recession, 
where we had an oversupply of multifamily in that market. We did not have an oversupply in today's market. So we're finding multifamily is holding up really well. Even with the eviction moratorium, you know, have the rent relief bill, which was a, a $25 billion credit to landlords in the CARES Act Part 2. That's going to help a lot, right? And, and that's going to help not only to keep tenants in their homes, but also to allow landlords and investors to get paid for any delinquency. So we're very, very busy. I think that, you know, we continue to be bullish on multifamily and we're, we're treading cautiously in other asset classes. You know, we've done a mixed use development deal that we're really excited about. We've done an office deal that we're really excited about that had a, a credit tenant with 12 years left on the lease. So, you know, we don't think they're going anywhere, even in COVID they're, you know, it's an essential part of their business. So we're, we're dabbling in office, although, although very cautiously, right. I would say, you know, we're, we're cautious about that because we don't know that everyone's going to return to work. We're cautious about retail, but we were cautious about retail well before the pandemic started and we hate hospitality. We haven't invested in hospitality since 2015. I do not like that business. I think it's the worst adjusted returns in real estate. And I, you know, we're just, we're just not in that business, which was, we're grateful for that during COVID, right? I mean, a lot of the hospitality is getting wiped out. Um, A lot of the retail is getting wiped out, but hospitality will go down as the worst asset class, you know, in this recession. And, you know, that, that, that's not good, right? It's not good for the industry. It's not good for investors in that asset class. But generally, I would say, you know, we're, we're pretty bullish on what we're seeing. You know, this recession has been very different than historical recessions. It is, it's not the same nationwide. You know, you and I were chatting before the podcast and I'm, I'm in Miami. Miami is very open. And, you know, my primary home is in Los Angeles and Los Angeles is not open at all. Right. And so it's it's a a tale of two cities, a tale of, you know, two worlds kind of in in this covid recession. Yeah, it really is. And that's why it's really important for people to recognize that a lot of things are market dependent. L.A. may be in a really tough spot and people may be leaving the city at high numbers. You may be seeing rent declines in one market, but you may actually be seeing a lot of growth in another market. And so back to what you're talking about when it comes to that spread, talk a little bit more about where the return comes from for investors so that those who are maybe right in the middle of understanding that concept can really put a point on why it's such a good time to invest when interest rates are low and you can still buy assets with that spread from interest rates to cap rates. Yeah, sure. I mean, I I would describe myself as a tried and true cash flow investor, right? I um I just I believe in cash flow. I like when the majority of my return on an investment comes from cash flow because I think that it's a, a lower risk option. And not all investors agree with me for what it's worth. There are plenty of people who want to do, you know, development deals with no cash flow and have a huge pop on the back end. But I personally, in my own investment portfolio, I prefer just tried and true cash flow, right? Slow and steady. And so in the example I was talking about earlier, if you're buying an apartment building at a five cap and you can put debt on it at 3%, so 5% cap rate, 3% debt, you've got 200 basis points of what's called positive leverage. So your cash on cash return year one on that deal should be plus or minus 7%, right? The 5% cap rate plus the 200 basis point spread between the debt and the cap rate. And so that's a really healthy yield. You know, I, I don't know where you can get a 7% return in today's market with interest rates trading where they are on, on a very strong risk-adjusted return basis, right? I don't want to say low risk because there's, there's always risk in even apartment investing and um, even stabilized assets. But from my perspective, that's one of the best risk-adjusted returns in the market. 
Now I'm a real estate investor, right? I don't know all the bond yields. I don't know, you know, equities. And I'm sure that there are lots of, you know, stocks that you can invest in that, that have good, you know, good returns and blue chip stocks and the like. But when I underwrite a real estate deal and we're underwriting a 7% cash on cash out the gate with realistic underwriting, realistic vacancy, realistic bad debt, like that, that's a good, that's a good risk adjuster return from my perspective. And, and interest rates today are allowing for that to happen. Yeah, it's a really, really strong, compelling reason why so many from other types of real estate asset classes are moving into multifamily. There's a boom within the space. A lot of people are moving money around because, you know, where else can you find a 7% return and feel very comfortable that based on the risk that you're taking, that that's going to be able to come back. So still a strong time to be investing. Don't be afraid just because you're watching the news, because the more that you watch what's going on in the world, you might think, hey, well, everything is burning down. The world's falling apart. But when we actually get down and look at specifically what's happening in individual markets, we end up seeing that people still need a place to live. People are still paying the rent and this is still a compelling investment vehicle and business model. Yeah, totally agree. And and it's interesting, like if you can find assets in office and retail that make sense, your spread between the cap rate and the interest rate there is, is even higher, right? I mean, you can still get debt in the office industry in the fours, right? And you can buy office at cap rates in the seven, eights, nines. So you're double digit cash on cash out the gate, but it's a higher risk, right? Making 10% cash on cash in an office deal, I would argue more often than not is, is higher risk than earning, you know, 7% out the gate in a multifamily deal. Yeah. And with 15,000 units, obviously you guys have a huge exposure in the apartment space and a lot of data of what's actually happening directly in the asset level. What can you share uh, as far as the consistency of, of renters paying, vacancies, kind of information at the asset level in general from what you've been able to see kind of across your portfolio? Yeah. So if you rewind to the pre-COVID world, we were running about two to three percent bad debt across the portfolio. So we were running, you know, 97 to 98 percent collections in the pre-COVID world. In the post-COVID world, we're running four to five percent bad debt across the portfolio. So you're looking at, you know, 95 to 96 percent collections. That being said, this is not a a glow or not a national recession impacting every market the same way, right? So I'll give you a micro example. We are investors in a number of assets in Brooklyn, and they've been the worst performing assets through COVID. Collections are in the you know 70s or or you know low 80s depending on the month. And I actually think that we'll get reimbursed for a lot of that bad debt through the rent relief bill, right? We're we're going to be um, aggressively pursuing capital out of that rent relief bill. So hopefully you know, we'll be made whole on that and the investors will be made whole on that. But, you know, you contrast that to what we're seeing in Dallas. I mean, in Dallas, we're seeing 97, 98% collections, right? And so it's, it's very sort of binary depending on the market. We have other investments where rent growth has been up three to 4% and other markets like, you know, New York City where rent growth is off 15%, right? In, in the negative direction. So it's a, it's a very, very weird recession. I would say, thankfully, we do not have a lot of exposure in tier one markets, very limited in, you know, New York, LA, San Francisco, Miami. Um, most of our investment in, over the last eight years has really been in more tertiary markets, Dallas being one of our largest markets, which I, I would argue now is kind of becoming a primary market, especially with all the, all the companies moving in there. It'll be more of a primary than a secondary market. But the secondary markets and the tertiary markets, interestingly, have performed better during COVID 
than the primary markets. And so I think we've benefited from that, but there's been some hits to the portfolio like a Brooklyn, right? And, and I think that this is a good reason why diversification makes a lot of sense for investors. I don't think it's a good idea for any investor to pick you know, one apartment building to invest in, whether it's with us or with someone else, like build a diversified portfolio. And either that is you picking and choosing a bunch of different investments or it's investing in, you know, a pooled vehicle like our REITs or, or other REITs that are available to investors because you just never know, right? You never know what's going to happen at that one property. You never know what's going to happen in that one market. And I think this recession has taught us that the whole nation does not behave the same in recessions every time. Yeah, the idea of diversification is such an important piece of the investing mindset to be make sure that you're spreading out that capital across different types of opportunities and not putting all of your eggs in one basket. And it's probably even more important now than it was before, but it's it's just a core piece. But sometimes people forget that. Sometimes people think, well, hey, if I put all of my money into this one thing and I'm focused on it, I'm going to be in a great spot. And that is only true as long as everything goes as planned. And we all know that no matter how much due diligence you do up front, you can't guarantee that everything is going to go as planned. Is that right? I mean, look, I, I have to speak honestly because that's just who I am as a human being. The majority of my net worth is in real estate, right? I understand it. I know it, um, but it's not in one property, right? So I have some exposure to equity market, the equity market, but, but very limited on a comparative basis. But I do think diversification is important. I think two things. One, knowing what you're investing in is really important, right? Like don't invest in things you don't understand. Um, and please don't invest with Realty Mogul if you don't understand the offering, right? That's not that's not who we are, who we want to be, but we do want to help educate people, right? And that could be looking at 30 deals before you decide to make an investment because you feel educated. And then once you're educated, 100% agree, you got to diversify because you never know what's going to happen. And there's all kinds of um, unforeseen risks, you know, COVID being one. There's plenty of people who talked about a pandemic. And yet I wouldn't say that the average person was contemplating a, a pandemic in their investment strategy, right? Yeah. But even you, as somebody who is clearly heavily invested in real estate, you believe in real estate, you're an expert in real estate, you know real estate, even within it, you're diversified across many different properties, many different leases within those properties, 1,500 apartment units nationwide. I'm sure you're participating in, in all of those. You've got diversification within a diversified portfolio that's, again, diversified over and over again. And so the point is not to have all of your eggs in one single property with one single lease or in just one part of the market or one stock or something like this, because if something doesn't work out, then you're going to really be wishing that... Uh, things were definitely different. So as we kind of close out here, what I'd love to know from you is what are some of the habits that you've seen some of the most successful investors do on a regular basis to be able to step into the, some of the same shoes that you personally are as the CEO of Realty Mogul? I mean, the first one is get started, right? You got to do your first deal, right? And however you want to define that, that's fine. Um, you know, the first deal that I ever did was a duplex in Compton. Compton is a, you know, a dangerous neighborhood or historically very dangerous neighborhood in Los Angeles. And it was the only thing I could afford. You know, it was a $110,000 transaction. We, we, you know, we did the deal and, and I got out of that market as quickly as I could, right? But I did a deal. I got in the game. Um, one of my favorite quotes is opportunity dances with those on the dance floor, right? You have to be in the game. You have to be on the dance floor to have any opportunity, right? And so I think that getting started is, is really, really critical. And then I think the other thing is just putting one foot in front of the other every single day, right? Show up as the best version of yourself, however that, that looks on that given day. 
And for me, that's finding new investments. That's having conversations with my team. That's asking critical questions about investments. And then the other one is, is related to that, which is just keep going, right? And you're going to get set back. You're going to get um, something thrown your way that you didn't expect. There's going to be something frustrating. There's going to be something that feels like it was intentionally set up to derail you. And you kind of just have to take a deep breath and and keep moving, right? And, and that's been a... A critical part, I think, of my entrepreneurial journey is every time that I get hit with a setback, I, I feel it, right? I acknowledge it. I feel it. I, I try and understand why it's happening or how it's happening. And then I take a deep breath and I just keep going. And I and I just think to myself, like, nothing is going to stop me from fulfilling the mission here, even if it takes a long time, even if it's hard, even if, you know, something is thrown my way that I didn't expect. Yeah. Amen. What a great way to leave uh, leave this conversation. Where can people find out more about you or get in touch? Feel free to log on at realteamogul.com. You can sign up for a user account or you can also go use our education center. That's not behind a login. So all free and um, we'd welcome any investor who wants to learn more about real estate. Wonderful. Well, it's so great talking with you. Thanks for sharing a little bit about what's going on in the market and uh, some of the strategies people can be using. And uh, I look forward to the next time we get to do this again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level.